Today's episode is presented by Advanced Recruiting Intelligence. Find out what makes this the fastest-growing, most cost-effective recruiting management tool in college athletics and get your free demo at ARIRecruiting.com. And now, it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, a man who would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids, Dan Tudor. Coach, do you know what is really going through the minds of your recruits, the class of 2021, right now? Well, that's what today's show is all about, and we are featuring two people who have done the research, and it's fascinating. Great application for coaches who are in the middle of the process. We are going to be talking to two experts in the field. The first, Will Patch, who is focusing on enrollment and college admissions for niche.com. And he headed up a study and partnered with our Jeremy Tears. Coach Tears has really developed a fantastic national reputation for being one of the thought leaders in college admissions. And the work that he does with Tudor Collegiate Strategies, the clients that we serve, is fantastic, gets results. Admissions departments who work with him and Tudor Collegiate Strategies are finding that they aren't experiencing some of the downturn that many colleges are experiencing. Why is that? Because he makes sure that we approach things the right way and that college admissions departments are understanding the latest ways to communicate with students. So the two combined uh, were a powerful force in putting together this study on how the class of 2021 was making their decision. We're going to talk to them about that today. Like I said, so many great applications for college coaches going through the process and understanding what's going through the mind of your prospects and really the prospects in this generation who have had an incredible challenge going through the college search process while handling the pandemic. So we got the conversation started with these two with a simple question, why did you do the uh, the, the survey? What was behind it? What was the, the goal of it? And we started the conversation with Will Patch. So coach, sit back, enjoy it, and learn from these two expert individuals in the arena of college decision-making when it comes to the class of 2021. Yeah, so the, the idea behind this survey, uh, I'm really appreciative. Jeremy came to me with, with some suggestions and we talked about it. Um, so, so at Niche, part of my role is uncovering insights. So we had done two surveys back in the spring uh, to students and parents about how coronavirus was affecting them. Uh, we do our annual senior survey then over the summer. Uh, so those re- results had come out sort of that untouched group yet was the seniors right now. They're mm-hmm. in the fall. They're going through what would normally be, you know, at visiting with, with the college admission staff that come in, taking campus visits, applying, applying for scholarships, you know, what looks like a normal fall. Uh, and, and Jeremy had some great questions too. And, and so he pieced together, what does a normal fall look like when things are absolutely not normal? Um, that, was, that was sort of the culmination of this project. Yeah. Yeah, and and as Will and I were talking, you know, over the summer and early into the fall, what we both knew we were going to get questions around from a lot of the colleges and universities that we work with is, okay, we're now having to do virtual events more. We don't have a lot of data as to like, what are we supposed to do? And are we just supposed to take what we were doing on campus and slide it over into the virtual event space? And how will the college search be different, knowing that 
probably nobody in an enrollment role in 2020 has lived obviously through either a pandemic or some major, you know, uh, monumental moment like this in their career. And so Will and I just really wanted to try to capture some data as to how students were feeling as a way to be able to share and advise all of these different admissions, marketing, enrollment teams, financial aid people. How can you continue to be student-centered in your communications and your focus when you're dealing again with the things that you have not dealt with in the past? Yeah. You know, what we, um, on the athletic side of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, we did a, a big survey um, last spring uh, after everything was sort of shutting down and uh, we interviewed student athletes. And one of the things that we found was that they they have a, an increased level of worry, not about the virus, but about sort of, am I going to have the normal college experience? I mean, here I am, I've, I've worked hard just like a regular student. I've worked hard. I put in this extra time and effort. Um, I have pictured myself going through the athletic process a certain way. And is that going to happen? And that was their big worry. Um, in terms of the big worries that that the two of you uncovered or saw in the results, what were those? Uh, what 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 did you, you find? What what are the things that were on the mind of the um, the the people going through the, uh, the the focus group survey that that you guys did? Maybe Jeremy, you can jump in and, and start with that answer. Sure. Yeah. Well, fear, as we talk about a lot when we do trainings with admissions and enrollment departments, and Dan, when you do them, obviously on the athletic side. I always tell people fear is controlling so many of the decisions that young people make when they go through their college search, meaning when they're worried about things like affording the college they really want to go to, which was one of the top fears that Will and I discovered again in this survey. And that's always been a fear as we do additional research, you know, at TCS, that's constantly something that students talk about. They also talk about things like making the wrong decision. And they also talk about things like, how am I going to know that, again, I found the right school for me if I can't do things like visit, if I can't do things traditionally, kind of what you allude to, Dan, I had pictured this process was going to work a certain way. Now that's kind of blown up. So how do I know I'm still going to be able to find the right school for me? And oh, by the way, I'm going to be able to afford it. And it's very important then once you discover what those fears are, to figure out, okay, how is a coach, how is a marketer, how is an admissions counselor, can you not only get that student to reveal why they feel that way, but then also come up with ideas, come up with stories that they can relate to of other athletes, other students, things that have happened on your campus as a way to help alleviate that fear and hopefully be able to move them forward to the next step in the process. Yeah, and that... I mean, some of these some of these fear and anxiety points are easier to address than others. So if a student comes and says, I'm worried I won't fit in, I'm worried I'm not going to make friends, you know, those that's something that everyone feels going into college and has for generations. Uh, you know, that's something we're prepared to address. The, the financial ones have always been uh, tough. Uh, that was from our, our senior survey. That was, this was the fifth year we did this one. And every year we've seen a decline and students saying, I am confident that I'll be able to afford the college at which I've chosen to enroll. Uh, mm -hmm. This year, it was less than a third of students who are enrolling at a school they're confident they can afford. Uh, you know, then we saw things on top of that, some of the, and the surveys, you know, asking them questions about uh, their finances, their anxieties, things like that. 
when there's a student that still sticks with me back in one of the spring surveys who mentioned that within the past week, every adult in his family had lost their job. You know, how do you, when you already have this, well, am I going to be able to afford it? And on top of that, everybody, you know, you've seen have that kind of loss that's doubling down the anxiety that was already, you know, I mean, Jeremy and, and Dan, you've talked to em- enough admissions counselors, enough coaches that that's a hard question to address the, I'm not sure I can afford it. I mean, you can lay out, here's our financial aid. Here's what we can do. Well, now on top of that, my parents have lost their job. I don't know if they'll have a job again. You know, I don't know that I can go out and get a part-time job or, or something to help supplement this. There's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot more being juggled right now. And I think one of the things you, as both of you talk about that, the, the, just the uncertainty about affording college now is already bubbling under the surface before all this started with the pandemic that, you know, college costs, were, were rising, um, student debt was rising. There was this growing and still is this growing um, uh, sort of <clears throat> public sentiment that you shouldn't go into debt. We're going to too much debt for this college degree and the college degree is no longer this certainty to a path of, of success and financial fortune uh, in your future. And so we were already starting to sort of do this second look at the cost of college and now this hits. And I'm just wondering Apart from the survey, because both of you are very in touch with the college admissions world and uh, and that side of campus, what are you hearing uh, from the college standpoint about how they're addressing it? Or is this going to be, is this a worry that is starting to increase uh, among college administrators? Have we, are our prices, you know, now we're going to have to adjust our, our pricing model and our budgetary model to address the fact that people are now not uh, legitimately being able to afford school or just there's this idea that I'm not going to go to an expensive school that I can't mm-hmm. afford to just, you know, pay for or fund myself without taking out a loan. Yeah. And there's a lot of people, myself included, who have been ringing that bell for years that this doesn't work to keep increasing the cost and increasing discount rate. Uh, we, we saw actually this year uh, in the senior survey that the majority of students in every income bracket now are saying that they are ruling colleges out before ever applying based on that sticker price. You know, that that's something that if you keep trying to tout that, oh, we're we're so prestigious because we're sixty thousand a year, you're losing the majority of students before they can ever apply because they say, you know, it's not likely I'm going to get that much aid to to make it more affordable. So you're seeing more tuition resets. You're seeing more tuition freezes. You're seeing schools really touting, hey, we're we're going to be giving more financial aid. We're going to be uh, bringing tuition back down, things like that. It's things that should have been done a decade ago. Uh, you know, there's a subset of people who I think always have and always will believe that how much they pay is an indicator of the quality. But I think the quality, you know, what what's your graduation rate? What are your grads doing? What experiences are students having on campus? Are they getting the hands-on research? Are they getting great internships? Are they doing work that is engaging and fulfilling and preparing them for whatever that next step is, or are they just touting how much they're paying? Right, right. Um, and we talk about the cost of college and its impact on who applies. One of the big findings that uh, the takeaways that both of you talked about in the summary of the survey was uh, the effect on all this with low-income students that basically um, uh 
well, almost half of all students, but a, a bigger majority, uh, approaching 60% of low-income students, hadn't even started applying to college yet. Uh, and you know, that's one of the things that we've seen throughout this process, at least on the athletic side, with both student athletes and coaches, is this paralysis set in. For the first couple of months, I didn't know what to do. I've never faced this before. I can't bring kids to campus. Um, now we're doing everything online. I don't know how to answer the questions. And so all that sort of caused people, I think, on both sides to freeze. And I guess I'm going to both of you with the the lack of applications at the time that you did this survey, which was, you know, not too long ago and, and you know, should have been, you know, certainly part of what would be the normal application process for a senior year when, when they were, uh, when you were talking to them are, how much of a lag are you feeling like we're seeing this year compared to previous years about kids just not just not taking any action forward in the in the process compared to yeah. previous years yeah you hit it right on the head dan the students have hit that pause button more than ever before this year and it's for a whole host of reasons right that not only will and i found when we did this survey but kind of things again that we already knew we're just seeing it on a grander scale which is for example, if I'm a first generation student and my parents have never been through this process before and I haven't been able to go to my high school because I've either been doing online learning this fall or I've been doing a hybrid sort of learning and I haven't been able to, you know, have those conversations with people, not only at my school, but within my community that I typically would in a given year, who am I supposed to turn to to understand what the next step in the process is? And when I don't know how to do that, and I'm worried about doing it wrong, back to fear that we talked about earlier, as you alluded to, Dan, so many of them just hit the pause button and pump the brakes. It's very, very, very important for colleges to try to get students to share that's exactly what's happening. Because what Will and I continue to see, and we really try, and I know in our conversations we've had on the side, get college and university admissions and marketers to understand is they're not just going to come to you with every question they have. That is very rare. You have to be the one through the communications, through things like your admissions counselors, your coaches, again, being very direct and intentional with their questions to try to draw out coach, you know, whoever the admissions counselor is, this is exactly how I'm feeling. This is exactly why I haven't applied yet. And if you don't do that, I'm not saying students aren't going to apply. I think what we're going to see this year, I was having this conversation with a director yesterday. I think you're going to see a massive influx of applications in like late February, March, and April this year, mm -hmm. you know, because what you're going to see is students are hopefully, you know, knock on wood, we keep moving forward with the pandemic and a vaccine students getting back to in-person learning at their high schools this, you know, next semester. And I think by the time we get to the spring, they're going to have access again to some of those people that would typically help them, whether you're a first generation or not. And I think also a lot of those other fears that students are wondering right about now will start to get answered. Meaning, is it going to be safe for me to go somewhere that might be a little farther away from home? Or is my family safe and healthy? And if they're not, again, is there a vaccine that is now available where I can feel comfortable enough that I'm not going to have to rush home like students shared in this survey and potentially have to help my family, all right, whether it's financially or otherwise. So I think it's really important, especially for the coaches listening to this, Dan, to understand that you have to, in your conversations with student athletes, 
ask those direct intentional questions about things like fear. You have to get to the why and the how, because right now that's exactly what we're seeing. There's been an uptick in the last month or so since we've done this survey and applications, but a lot of those are right. Schools that do either early action or early decision because their deadlines have passed. But schools, again, that do a lot of regular decision or just rolling admissions throughout the year, there's still a lot of students right now who have pretty much said, I'm just going to wait until I can start making some of these visits or start connecting with my high school guidance counselor like I typically would. And so I've hit that pause button. And while colleges may not like the delay, I think we're going to see a bigger delay more than ever before in when those decisions and applications come through. But those still come through. In many cases, I just think it's going to be much later than the traditional cycle. Yeah. And for students who have limited access to technology and internet access, you know, they're just, there's a forced waiting game there as well. And we're seeing a lot of students who, especially low-income students and rural students, that they really place a much higher emphasis in face-to-face connections, personal relationships, campus visits. For them, the virtual just isn't working. Uh, And so they're just holding on. It's like, when can we actually get in and see campus and actually talk to someone and not just have to look at a, a head on a screen, you know, right. um, they want that type of experience. And, and there's actually, we have some data coming out in January talking to college counselors and try and gauge where are your students are, are they ahead, are they behind? And a lot are saying that their students are either on par with last year or behind. Uh, but the big things are that the students who are behind are holding out to get on campus. When's that going to be? Right. On that note, one of the things from our survey last spring was the the high rate of dissatisfaction with online learning. Now, many of these athletes were still in high school at the time. They were still um, the they they were still going through the the process of of seeing their high school teachers stumble through you know maneuvering through Zoom, and they just weren't. It, it just was a it was a much less it was less of an uh, a uh, educational experience and uh you know that combined with let's say doing virtual visits and events versus in-person visits i'm just wondering how and this is just the, the, your opinion both of you how have colleges done when it comes to transitioning or trying to put together virtual events virtual learning that is on par or close to it with the in-person uh visits because I, I think uh, the reason I ask that is I think that among the market, among current college student athletes, as well as prospects looking at colleges, that's become a big conversation point. All right, am I going to be in person? Uh, because I've seen what online learning is for an extended period of time. I don't want any part of that. And also, we go back to the cost thing. I don't know that I should be paying for a virtual degree at the same rate that I would be for an in-person learning uh, um, experience. And so there's this weird... Uh, market evaluation going on with both the cost of college and plus how are you offering that and is it worth that cost? So I'm just wondering what you're seeing in terms of what what you see colleges doing and how they're doing it to to address that that thing that's going out on the uh, going on in the market. Yeah, I would I would say a couple of things on that. You hit on virtual events, Dan. Some colleges, obviously, as you might imagine, have transitioned better than others. Uh, I think the biggest struggle that I continue to hear and we really saw in this data is there's this notion out there that everybody has Zoom fatigue. I'm not going to tell you people don't have Zoom fatigue. People do have Zoom fatigue because everything with school, all right, with their friends, everything else has been staring at a screen. 
But as Will and I found in the survey, it's quite clear that a large majority of students, they're open to doing virtual events. They just think the virtual events right now don't fit what they're looking for. Mm. They don't want to look, as they said in the survey, at talking heads just nonstop for 45 minutes, an hour. Some schools are trying to do multiple hour events in the same day. That they have no interest in doing, okay? What they do have an interest in, as we saw in the survey, and as I know Will and I have had these conversations with people, is what can you give me that's short in length, aka maybe 30, 45 minutes max, that is much more student-centered, meaning I don't want to hear, honestly, from Coach Tears yet, if you know, or the faculty member yet, if I know nothing about your school. You know, yes, I want to hear about if I'm, you know, being recruited for the, you know, the basketball team. Hey, how do I fit within the program? But when it comes to learning more about your school, I don't care about all this academic stuff. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about financial aid, like you said, Dan. How are you going to be able to make it affordable? I also want to talk about the dorms. I also want to talk about, no shock to the three of us, your food. Like, let's talk about the food on campus. What's that look like? What's the meal plan like? Any places close to campus that, like, I can take and use, like, you know, my bucks or whatever you want to call them, you know, that, that shared, that's the kind of stuff that during virtual events, they would much rather hear about. But the other key is they'd also rather hear from either this current student or current student athlete perspective. And that I think is where so many schools right now are missing the mark with virtual events is they are having faculty and admissions leadership go through the whole, Hey, let's talk about how to apply. And let's talk about all these general lies facts and figures about financial aid. And so many of the students in the qualitative data that Will and I gathered said, you're telling me stuff I already know. Like, I don't care. What I want to know more is, okay, how are you going to bring down that cost? Like, don't just tell me if I'm looking for an outside scholarship, go talk to your high school counselor. They can help you. That's a scapegoat. And students know it. And they say as much in surveys, they want you as coach or an admissions counselor to say, well, what else? Like, where else can I go? Is it fast web? Is it like, help me understand where I might be able to find some of those or help me understand again, how your school is truly different from these other three virtual events that I went and did that are kind of saying all the same kinds of things, like why your school? And so without some of those things during virtual events, you're going to continue to see a lot of low turnout, or you're going to have high signup rates and low show rates. I think once commissions counselors, coaches, anybody else who's involved in those figures out, listen, all we have to do is make these shorter. We have to segment them a lot more and focus on maybe one or two things, depending on this group that we're talking to and where they're at in the process. You'll see students who are more than happy to show up and participate in these events. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I think there's just a lack of segmentation. Too many people have tried to take these big general events and just put them into, into their virtual environment. And, and you're not, okay, here's, let's have a small event for business students. Let's have a small event for students from Ohio. Let's have a small event, just try different things. They're highly segmented and, and individual counselors could even have round tables. You know, whatever you can do to make it more personal where it's not one person who never engages the entire time, they're just watching videos or they have to type in their question you know, if you can have a small group of a counselor and three students, four students, and they can connect with each other and they can connect with you and they can feel like, okay, this is the person who's going to be helping me through the process. 
that's going to be a lot more meaningful to students uh, than these big general events. Uh, I mean, the big things they want to know, they want to know what, are they going to fit in? What's the environment going to look like? They're already thinking ahead. They want to know, like Jeremy said, what's it like on campus? They want to move past this. They want to think about that. They don't want to be told, here's how you apply, because they've done that already. Right. Well, and, and also that's information I can look up online and exactly. and get before I attend the event. In fact, I would make the case, and we do for coaches all the time, that by the time they get to campus for a visit or a virtual visit, but even traditionally just in-person visit, we always you try to get them to understand uh, and any admissions department we happen to be in front of it, uh, you know, along with the athletic side, that they already know 80, 85% of what they need to know about campus in terms of pure information. You have my major, the location, you know, even cost information. I'm there on campus to figure out all the non, uh, the, the non-factual stuff, the illogical, emotional stuff, like do I fit in? Do they like me? Does it feel right here? All these sort of random ways of making a decision. A couple of things that both of you brought up that I just wanted to kind of talk to you about and then get maybe your opinion on. We find on the athletic side that there it really comes a decision comes down to two questions getting answered on a on an ongoing basis, which is uh, why should I come to your school? Which is different than what you have at your school, but why should I go there? And how are you better than my other choices? And we find that both coaches and probably admissions don't do a great job at answering the the specifics of those two questions. They're great at giving information, not so great at saying, look, you're looking at these four schools over here. Here's how we're going to be different or better. Not to negative recruit against those other schools, but to, to you know, explain the differences. Um, you, you also you've brought it down to the visit and sort of, taking, I think, Will, the, the, how you phrase it is a lack of segmentation when they take what their in-person visit used to be and now they try to just plop that big, heavy, clunky thing online um, and do it virtually. Um, we have found with coaches the most effective way to do a visit now, if it's going to be virtual, <clears throat> is for them to basically take their phone and uh, schedule a one-on-one time with a, with a prospect, walk around campus and show them a little bit of campus and talk to them. And then maybe if they have kids on campus, bump into some of their team and literally hand the phone over to them for 10 or 15 minutes, let the kids talk to them. That's a 30, 35 minute experience with shaky video, no, no beautiful edits or background music. But the result is I feel like I really got the true look at campus and this coach, um, took the time to be just with me to kind of go to the points that you both were making that, there is, you know, it becomes very impersonal sometimes on on the virtual side of things versus, you know, what, what you know, different ways that you could make it more personal. So I say all that. Uh, my next question for you both is that all those things kind of go against the traditional way of recruiting from an admissions standpoint, which largely, I mean, and, you know, Jeremy, you do these, the training all the time, so you know that this is the way that we do it, quote unquote, in admissions is the way that it's been done for the last two or three decades. And it really hasn't changed very much. It hasn't evolved a lot. Um, and so now they're forced to evolve. And we see, you know, again, Will, to your point, they try to take something that they used to do in person and now just put it online and it doesn't quite work the same. So that seems to me, just outsider looking in, because this is the your world, 
both of you, that that's a major hurdle that's not getting cleared right now among many admissions departments, that they're running into this wall of, wait, this is just the way that we have to do it. Wait, wait, it's not working, but, but I don't know what to do differently. Am I, am I wrong in sort of stating that conflict there? Or what, what are you guys seeing on that side? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right on. I, I think part of it, though, is our own mental blocks that, oh, this is so totally different because it's the, the, the room is different. I mean, it's the same as if a student is coming to campus. How would you treat them? Right. What would be the core of that experience? You know, it's not all that different, honestly. If you think about it, students are very, very good at building community and building relationships on their phone, on on you know, Reddit on things like that. They, they can go on about a Twitch streamer or a YouTuber like their family. Right. They are used to this. They are used to building the community. We just have to think about it differently that, you know, I, I worked for nine years at a small institution. Everything was very personalized. You get to, you, you bring a student in, you one-on-one, just chat with them, get to know them, answer their questions. You can do the exact same thing on your phone with just a quick video call. If they don't want video, great. That's fine too. You know, if you want to text back and forth, a lot of people, though, aren't asking that question of how do you want me to talk to you? Mm. How do you want to get to know about us? Is it through a video call? Is it through our virtual experience where I can talk to you simultaneously? Is it a text? What is that way you want to build that relationship? Because everyone's going to be a little bit different, but the core of what we're doing is exactly the same, except instead of being in a conference room or an office on campus, you're doing it on your phone. It's not, it's just a different frame. It's a different room. Right. Yeah. And Dan, you really talked earlier and, and we'll, we'll hit on this too. We all make decisions based on how we feel. That's been the way of the world. It's going to continue to be the way of the world in admissions, you know, and so many other industries. All right. Why do we spend more on a coffee at Starbucks? Why do we pay $10,000, $20,000 to take our family to Disney? And yet people do this every day in astronomical numbers, right? Well, that goes back to part of the value conversation we talked about earlier. But at the end of the day, what is it? Well, those companies, those businesses have figured out how to create those emotional connections that Will alluded to earlier and create those memories and feelings that leave us feeling happy, that leave us feeling excited. Students are going to continue to make their decision. Even if we're in a pan, you know, being in a pandemic, the same way they did before the pandemic, it's just I can't get the feel of campus if either A, I haven't been able to visit because your campus isn't allowing me to, or B, I still don't feel comfortable even if I could come to campus. They can still feel, as you both alluded to, in every interaction they have with anybody on your campus, coach, student athlete, faculty member, counselor, do you make it about me? Do you seem to care more than these other schools? Do you understand some of these fears? And do you even care about it? And are you trying to help me with that? Right. Those feelings, right, have always been important, but they're going to be even more important this year because they can't come to campus. And Dan, you alluded to what we see on the athletic side. It's very similar with how a regular non-athlete all right, athlete makes their decision. The feel of campus with feel and air quotes has been number one on just about every survey we've done in six years with hundreds of colleges, because that's what students default to remembering. They remember those emotional connections that you and Will both talked about. And the last thing I'll say, and you hit on something that, boy, is going to continue to be such a struggle for so many people, which is this idea of change. 
And I've asked, because I do in these trainings we do, as you both know, I do one-on-one meetings with everybody from the leadership down through the admissions counselors, the marketing staff. And I've asked hundreds of times, like, help me understand. I'm showing you data that says you're doing A, they want B. What's the, what's the disconnect? They're scared, all right, for a host of reasons. But it, it all boils down to fear, right? Well, I don't know. We've never done it that way before. Understood. But if you have data, and this is what I always come back to, we're not guessing. Right. None of what I talk about, none of what Will talks about, none of what Dan, you talk about with coaches, we're not just saying, well, we think this will we know it will work because students tell us over and over and over. If you would just do this, or you would try to make it more personal, or you would just do this, this, and this, we're much more likely to pick up the phone, respond to your text, come visit campus, submit our application, whatever that next step is. And so trying to remind everybody who may be listening to this, God, if you're struggling to change, well, number one, if it's not working, why would you keep doing it? But number two, if you have another strategy that is grounded in data from the students or student athletes you're trying to attract, that should give you hopefully enough peace of mind to say, okay, we hopefully will execute it the way we need to execute it. But the strategy itself, it's grounded where we need it to be grounded, which is from the students we're trying to attract. One of the things yeah. I'm talking about, um, oh, go ahead, Will, go ahead, jump oh, in. Okay. No, I was just going to say that it's one of those where people get so set in their ways of, well, we've always done it this way. We have to always do it this way. You know, even if you're saying, oh, we're getting okay results, we're, oh, we're good, you know, good is the enemy of great. If, you, if you're afraid of all this, A, B, test it. You know, pull out some of your students and try this other way. And if it works better, great. Right. If it doesn't, okay, go. Maybe you did find the best way first thing you did. But what are the chances of that? Right. You know, on, on that note, what, what I was going to jump in and ask both of you, one of the other findings from the survey, which we're linking to in the show notes of the podcast. So you're listening to this and you haven't yet looked at the survey results, please go and click on the link because it's, it's really, really good information. Um, that nearly half of all students, about 48%, said that the communications they have been receiving from colleges, universities, all look and sound the same. In fact, only eight, about 8%, 8.1% said they feel very personal. And I bring that up just based on what both of you were talking about. Here we are trying to create an emotional appeal, create a pull. We're trying to differentiate. And right out of the gate, without making any changes, you're basically taking half of your list. Now, whether that's a coach who's recruiting 50 kids and it's, that means 25 uh, feel this way, 25, uh, you know, half of, of, of that, or it's an admissions department that has a list of 40,000 student names, 20,000, we're wiping out right away. Uh, we're taking them out of the mix by, by putting forward this communication that all looks and sounds the same. And, you know, obviously that's a big, you know, emphasis point for, for us here at TCS in creating and making sure good individualized communication is going out to prospects because we know how important it is and your study bears that out. Why is it such a challenge? My question to both of you, why is it such a challenge for colleges to put out something that sounds more personal, that sounds different, that looks different than what other colleges are putting out? Because what we're doing is it's a, 
it's a it's a 50 way race to the bottom and we're all tied for last place if we're not doing something different and these kids are smart and they're looking for not only what's different but what also sounds personal did this did does it, does it sound like they're talking to me or is it so beautifully written that it sounds like a speech given in front of 8000 people in a in a huge arena that's not personalized because I, I'm they're really good. This generation is really good at picking out those differences. And I would think now as they're making these tough buying decisions about where to go to college or if they're going to go to college, um, it becomes more important than ever. But what are your thoughts? Yeah. And it's, it's combination, Dan, of what we just spent a few minutes talking about with, which is we've always done it a certain way. Okay. Well, let's talk about what that way is for a quick second. Higher ed, unfortunately, and coaches fall into this too, mm-hmm. you know, as some of your listeners may or may not know, I was a college basketball coach for eight years. So I've lived that life. And while 90% of recruiting a student athlete is the same as recruiting a regular student, that other 10% is super important. One of those things you have to do if you're going to differentiate your program or your school is you have to personalize the process. And I think higher ed looks at personalization and goes, well, that means putting their name in the subject line or (laughs) no, because that's what everybody does in 2020. Real personalization means changing the language and the tone of your messaging. Well, why are they not doing that? Well, it goes back in many cases to fear. Fear of, well, if I start sounding more conversational and I get people who tell me this all the time, Jeremy, that makes me less professional. And I say, well, hang on. It actually does the exact opposite student tell us, which is it makes me feel like you're making it about me more and it's more relatable. And when you're more relatable, it's much easier for me to consider engaging back with you, right? If you've tried to engage with me. And so I think it's higher ed and I think it's coaches understanding what personalization actually means in 2020, which is so many, for example, admissions departments send everything out from a general office of admissions count still in 2020. And I keep telling people, you might as well just write in the subject line. This is a mass email because maybe you've got a better chance of getting them to open it just because they're like, what is this? That's what students, as you said, Dan, because these are smart young people. When they see that, that's, oh, it's just another thing with a bunch of generalized information, part of that 80% that I probably already know about the school. So it's understanding, you know, how to change your subject line to feel more personal. It's understanding how in the language you use to sound more conversational and change your calls to action to not just always be visit, apply, and deposit, but sometimes to say, hey, how are you feeling about this? Talk to me about that. Is this something you're struggling with? And trying to get their feelings and their thoughts on different things that you share about your campus experience, your program, just to figure out, okay, is this important? Does this student or student athlete care about this? Do they want to know more about it, but they're just afraid or don't know how to ask about it? And so when you understand how to personalize, it is a differentiator back to what you asked earlier, Dan. Well, how do we differentiate our program? If I'm a small private liberal arts college, right? And I'm being recruited by three other small private liberal arts colleges that are all kind of in similar type locations. What's the difference? Well, it's back to those emotional connections that we talked about. But how are those generated, right? And one of the big ways they're generated is through the language you use. And not just obviously in person or Zoom calls or whatever it might be, but in all those emails and those text messages that you send throughout the year. So, 
I think the the short answer is it's hard work, and higher ed is really bad at at they're they're great at buying new tools, really bad at supporting them and building them out. So you know you have people who buy a CRM that can do the email system and and great, and then they just slap these generic emails in. Well, let's say you've got twenty. 20 fields of, of data for every student. Why are you not doing that? I mean, I've done secret shopping of undergrad and transfer, and I'm embarrassed at a lot of the comflows because there'll be these things where, you know, at the inquiry stage, there was one college that asked over 40 fields of information at, for an inquiry form and used my first name and email address. Right. You did not need any of that else. So if you're asking something, use it. If I'm telling you I'm interested in a, a chemistry major, you know, tell me about your chemistry program. Connect me with students. Tell me what the research is like. Show me the labs. If I'm telling you I'm interested in wrestling, talk about your, your team, your program, your philosophy. I want to know about that. But if I'm telling you these things and you say, did you know you could apply? Yeah, I know I can apply. <laughs> I mean, why, why are you asking these things and not personalizing to them? I think it comes down to you have to invest in writers. You have to invest in enrollment marketers. You have to invest in analysts. And that's something we're really bad at. We're really good at hiring people straight out of college to be an admissions counselor, send them on the road for 12 weeks and burn them out. We are awesome at that. But investing in people who, let's bring someone in who can craft really good emails, measure the open rates, measure the click-through rates, adapt throughout the year, run optimization campaigns, right. build dashboards so that we can understand what's working and what's not so that the, the counseling staff can focus on the one-on-one relationships. That is, is hard. I mean, it's just not something that a lot of places are geared to do because we haven't done it in the past. We're not catching up with what should be done. And I'll add to your list, Will, that I think colleges need to do a better job of understanding how buying decisions are being made behind the scenes. There are so many similarities. And I think, you know, again, in higher ed, the, you know, there's a, there's this sort of grandiose view that this is an education and we're, it's such a important life decision. And we're at the center of that decision. And there's a lot of headiness that goes with that. And at the core, when we study, how decisions are made about where to go to college, where to play college athletics, it it resembles much more of, of the same psychological process of when we go out to buy a car than it does anything else. And I don't think many people at the college level think of themselves or want to think of themselves as, you know, a car salesman. And yet emotionally and psychologically, it's the same process that we use for, you know, the, the, the irrational ways we just, we justify why we should buy a certain car at a certain price for a certain monthly payment. Um, but it's exactly the same. So yeah, I could probably talk to you for another hour and dig deep into the stats, but I won't do that to you. I won't do that to the people who are listening, but I would love for each of you a quick one minute summary of for somebody listening to this, whether they're in admissions, college athletic administration, they're a coach, they're involved in this function of getting kids that we want to come to our school, however that is, as a student or as an athlete. Your takeaways from all this data that people can access in this survey, uh, and how do they move forward through the rest of, as they as we get into 2021 and 
I'm going to throw 2022 in there as well because the juniors are going through this weird time and they're going to sort of carry that baggage with them into their application process because they will have the knowledge of what online learning could look like or am I going to, are we going to go back to that time when I was back in high school and it's all online and now I'm in college. So my question for each of you, quick little one minute summary each, what is your advice for college personnel listening to this about how they move forward and what they need to do differently to be successful? Yeah, I, I would tell you a couple of quick things. Number one, it's about educating yourself. You have to understand what your target audience finds important, cares about, and understand that it's not the same that it was 15, 20, five even years ago in many cases. Once you've educated yourself, then I would argue it's about controlling what you can control. Meaning so much of what the three of us just talked about this morning, there are a lot of things that a coach listening to this or an admissions counselor listening to this is going to go, yeah, Jeremy, Dan, Will, this is all great. Yeah, I have no control over who we hire in marketing. Who we You're right, you don't. And you don't have control whether you are siloed with those different departments on campus and if Bob doesn't like Sally or whoever, but you control a lot of what we spent time on today, which is things like how are you personalizing your different communications that you individually as a coach or as an admissions counselor are sending out? Are you communicating with parents and families earlier? Are you asking direct intentional questions, not just saying, hey, what questions do you have? Are you not just answering stuff with a bunch of generalized facts and figures that they probably already know and instead trying to incorporate things like storytelling more as a way to say, hey, this hopefully helps you see how it's different here or how we do things a little differently in our program. And I think if you're doing those things on a consistent basis, in most cases, you're going to have a decent shot every year to either enroll your class if you're on the admission side listening to this or if you're a coach and you are serious about some of these student athletes, they're at the top of your list, you're going to have a decent chance with most of them and or you're going to find out really fast, faster than normally you would. They're just not interested or they're not a good fit. Yeah, I would say step back, audit everything you've done so far and get understanding for what's working, what's not. And right now, the, the research here has a lot of good insights on what students want, but you need to understand that even within your own student body, there are segments. You know, you have students that maybe what you're doing actually is working, but I'll bet there's a whole lot who want something different. So craft some experiments. Try a small personalized visit experience that's highly segmented. Do you, even if you get smaller numbers, there's people I know who would say that's a failure. But if they are so engaged that they're going to be there and they're already building their cohort and they have these connections, you know, that's a win. You know, I'll, I'll take five highly engaged kids to 20 who show up, get bored, and log out. You know, that's, that's, it's a better experience. So understand that. Understand your visuals that are going with your emails, with your print pieces. Are they providing a sense of place? Because students want to know what it's like since they can't get there. You know, are you showing just generic buildings on campus? Or are you showing things that can only be you? Are you talking about your, yourself in ways that can only be your institution? Because if you're out there saying we have small class sizes and and faculty who care and, you know, everybody says that. All right, Coach, that's going to wrap it up. Incredibly insightful information. How will you use it? That's really the big question that you have to answer now. Because 
There's a lot of changes that are taking place in the way that student athletes and students are making their decision as they go to college. You're in the middle of that decision-making process for both the classes of 21 and 22. And really, it's going to apply to many future classes that you're going to be talking to as well. So what do you do? How do you take this information and use it? If you need the full reference point for the survey, we're going to put that in the show notes of the podcast. You can just click on that, pull up the full survey, and and really dig into the numbers and study it. Share it with the, the friends you have in admissions, certainly, as well as the rest of the athletic department, because the more information you have, the better decisions you can make and the better strategic approach that you can move forward with when it comes to recruiting this class. As well, we'll put all the contact information for Will and Jeremy. If you have follow-up questions, please feel free to ask them. Uh, They're happy to answer it. Two great experts. We really appreciate them being on the show. And that's going to wrap up today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Coach, we really appreciate you listening. Make sure you're subscribing on your favorite platform, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google, Uh, we're on everything. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're telling other coaches in your department on your staff to subscribe as well. Go back and listen to past episodes. We have over a hundred that you can learn from. It's all here for you, coach. We do it for free because we really want you to succeed. We really want you to make sure that you are the ones that are winning the recruits that you need to win. So coach, have a great day. Thanks for listening. That's going to wrap it up. For today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Have a great one. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.